Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. This industry is not about vanity like I think a lot of people think. And I think that's why the government shut us down. Right? This isn't just about vanity going to the beach, right? That's a byproduct of this is you hope you lose a few pounds, you lose your waistline, you feel better, whatever. But now the ultimate thing is like you sleep better, helps with anxiety, helps with depression. And now with mental illness, where you see in the news, it's, it's horrific what's happening. Coming out of the pandemic, consumers seem more focused on wellness than ever. But the place they can be proactive about their health maybe isn't the doctor's office. How about the gym? And that's the thing that people got to realize is this is more of a health and wellness business or industry. We're more in healthcare than we are in a gym business, if you think about it. I mean, 15 million members, if we were a state, would be the fifth largest in the country. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. When your business relies on convincing people to work out and get in shape, you've got to be in sync with your customers. And Planet Fitness has been centering their members since the first gym opened in 1992. Like many businesses, they had to close their doors during the pandemic, but they've continued to find ways to engage and understand their customers through technology. Now that they're opening up again, Planet Fitness is poised to capitalize on consumer interest and they're better positioned than ever to understand what customers want even before they walk in the door. No one is more in tune with Planet Fitness customers than Chris Rondo, who started out in 1993 at the front desk of the original Planet Fitness. Over the years, he's worked his way up to CEO of the company, and that began in 2013. Being there for almost 30 years, Chris is uniquely positioned to chart the course for Planet Fitness. I sat down with Chris to discuss how Planet Fitness tailors its experience to customers, what he sees as the addressable market, and what the pandemic has meant for business overall. We'll also touch on how Planet Fitness is incorporating technology and why the franchise model works so well for them. Let's enter the arena with Chris Rondo. That's a quick, uh, almost 30 years here in a few minutes to make sure I get this right. So. Yeah, I always liked working out uh, since I was about 16 and, uh, you know, what better job to have than than working at a gym, right? <laughs> so I was uh, attending University of New Hampshire, you know, through high school, I was working at my father's uh, independent drugstores and then uh, ringing a register and decided I'd rather get rid of retail and go work at the gym because it's more fun what I'm interested in. And so I started working at the very first club here in Dover, New Hampshire. Two original guys founded the first store there. And then uh, we began this, this long journey, you know, and, you know, in the early days, quite honestly, 
we weren't the point of it as you see today. You know, early on we had the 150 pound dumbbells, the squat racks, Olympic benches, you know, the heavy weight gain drinks, uh, jacuzzi, saunas, daycare, you know, we had it all, $35 a month, give or take. And honestly, starting in New Hampshire gave us a bit of a learning curve, but in a good way. And it's very rural around here. You know, our first uh, four stores, these are towns of 25, 30,000 people. That's it, you know? And back then the industry stat was only 15% of the US population had a gym membership. Today, it's barely 20%. So it really hasn't moved, unfortunately, very far. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Like, did you feel you had some kind of skill set, like sitting at the front desk there early on? Like, wh what did you think you were good at other than like some superhuman drive to build this thing? <laughs> like, what were you good at to kind of jump from that to kind of building a super substantial company? I always like to look at ways to make the business run smoother and, and more streamlined. And as we develop this high volume model, although it seems very simple on the outside, when you're making money at $10 a month, things have to be perfect, right? And I really had a, a keen eye, I guess, to make sure I could streamline the customer's experience, but make it consistent to be sure that their experience, no matter what door they walked in at Planet, they would experience the same product, you know? And at 10 bucks a month that, you know, was profitable. So, you know, we did that throughout the 90s and we streamlined this business, me and my two original partners, really learned how to market here, being in New Hampshire, it's very rural, how to market our judgment-free zone, you know, what you see today, the purple, yellow colors, catering to the casual and first-timer. And, and even today, 40% of our members, we have 50 million of them, almost 40% of them are first-time gym members. So they truly are giving fitness a try for the first time in a gym. And as, as important as price is, the atmosphere component is super important because a first-timer doesn't want to walk into a gym with somebody benching 120-pound dumbbells or 400-pound squats and throwing chalk and spit on the floor, you know? So we had to break down those barriers, and that's exactly what we did. And when I, we began franchising in 2003, we had building our fifth location. And at that point, I had been there 10 years. I started in 93. It was now 2003. Um, my former partners uh, granted me 30% equity, sweat equity in the company uh, for being there and building their operations of the business. Michael, uh, the original founder, was a great marketer, a true visionary, and Mark was uh, the CFO at the time. And we launched franchising, and really what happened, we saw our model that we built in rural New Hampshire with all the means and methods and marketing know-how brought into places like Atlanta and Orlando and LA, heavy populations, and it just worked that much better. The rest is history. You know, 2012, we brought in private equity. We had now been franchising for nine years. And we now had over 500 clubs. So it took us you know, 10 years to get to five, another nine years later to 500. And me and my three partners, were, you know, we didn't want to mess it up at that point and end up working the front desk again. <laughs> and I think a lot of you know, what's helped me along the way is you know, I started the front desk. I then became a personal trainer. I then was a club manager. I then was a regional manager. Then was made COO. Then brought in private equity and learned a lot from that process. A lot of data-driven, you know, me and my partners, a lot of it was intuition. You know, we were three gym guys. We had 500 clubs. Back in the beginning in New Hampshire, it <laughs> yeah. had to be like trial and error for five years. But you started franchising with five units? Yeah, five units. And how did yeah. you know, like, how did you know at that point, like, wow, the economic model is there for other people to make money and this thing could scale? Like, what was going so right for you? Yeah, when we really realized the, the EBITDA margins we were making and the streamlined business model. So our gyms have 12 to 15 employees total. Right. And we don't have all the moving parts and pieces of juice bars and pro shops and daycare and jacuzzis and sauna and pools. And you go down the list. And, you know, so we have to find a franchisee that can keep the club extremely clean, 
greet members with a hello and goodbye and follow our marketing strategies and you'll win as opposed to finding a franchisee that can run a daycare business, run a pro shop and food service business run. Otherwise you're trying to find a franchisee that can do everything as opposed to, you know, the five things we do perfect. So it just seemed like the perfect franchising model. And we really didn't have the capital to grow it as fast as we felt the need. And, and believe it or not, our first franchisee was actually a, a treadmill salesman. <laughs> and, and what happened was, is he used to come to us and said, you know, and he couldn't tell us the numbers of all our, our competitors, but, you know, he sold treadmills to everybody in the Northeast of the U.S. And he was like, listen, your numbers aren't like anybody else's because <laughs> he's financing our treadmills for us, you know, and he's like, trust me. So we started franchising. He quit his job immediately. He was the first franchisee. His brother was a doctor down in Orlando area, and I uh, brought a couple other um, high net worth individuals and, and helped uh, get him started. And he now is one of our largest franchisee groups with over 100 locations today. Unbelievable. It reminds me of the uh, Ray Kroc movie with Michael Keaton when he was selling <laughs> milkshake makers, and there were some guys in California like buying more of them than anybody. It's an unbelievable story because uh, he obviously had the vision and foresight, and you guys were able to help him uh, execute. But uh, Chris, fast forwarding kind of to today, I know you guys had a really good third quarter. Maybe tell us a little bit about how that went for you, the key drivers, like what seems to be happening as we're coming out of the pandemic here. You know, I've been doing it so long that, and I've been through, we've been through a lot of different financial situations over 30 years, whether it's the recession and different administrations. And you know, you've seen the business ebb and flow as times change. Granted, the, the pandemic was nothing anybody's ever experienced, <laughs> that's for sure. But having understand really the psyche of, of a member or a potential member, you know, I knew at the other end of this would be okay. And and I never wavered from that and with the franchisees and really gave them the support to get through to the other side. And this is an industry that was literally shut down. You know, we don't have takeout food. We don't have delivery service. It's just, you're out, you know, no, no revenue, but knew that when you get to the other side of this health and fitness and wellness is never going to go away. It's universal, right? It's universal. Everybody needs it. And sadly through the pandemic, we saw quickly who this was affecting most. And it was people that were overweight. 70% of the U.S. was already overweight before pandemic. And now some of the stats is about 40% of the of people, um, adults in the U.S. have gained an average of 29 pounds on top of that. So there was already a need. Now there's even a bigger need. And I think, unfortunately, that this has shined a light on the importance of health and wellness. Although we've been told for decades, right, let's face it, everybody knows you should be working out. But it's out of sight, out of mind until, unfortunately, something like this happens that... I knew if we got to the other side of this, the demand for fitness would come back and come back stronger. Now, back to your question on third quarter and even second quarter, it's come back even way faster and harder than I expected it to be. I knew it would come, but not this rapid. Although we started seeing positive member growth in January, which is the first time since the shutdown. But the, remember, the vaccines were barely being distributed in January to the like, frontline workers and elderly. By the end of the first quarter, it was everybody. And second quarter now, we saw the best second quarter in company history. July was the, double the growth of July of 2019. Best third quarter in company history for member growth. So the seasonality was like out the window, it didn't matter. All that was really mattered. People now felt safe to go outside. They realized they got to exercise. They got to lose the pounds. And I think what it's done is hopefully made people realize, and I'm a, I'm a really strong believer and advocate for this, that this industry is not about vanity like I think a lot of people think. And I think that's why the government shut us down, right? This isn't just about vanity and going to the beach, right? That's a byproduct of this is you hope you lose a few pounds, you lose your waistline, you'll feel better, whatever. But now the ultimate thing is like you sleep better, helps with anxiety, helps with depression. And now with mental illness, where you see on the news, is, it's horrific what's happening. And 
that's the thing that people got to realize is this is more of a health and wellness business or industry. We're more in healthcare than we are in a gym business, if you think about it. I mean, 15 million members, if we were a state, would be the fifth largest in the country, right? To shut us down is, is counterproductive. Pretty staggering, and I, I would agree wholeheartedly. You know, people have so many issues with anxiety just being able to get out. People of all ages, you know, particularly mm-hmm. older people maybe, it's, it's super important. How has... Um, you know, I, I don't know if your core customer is a, a work from anywhere person, but obviously things are shifting. People are moving to different states. Has that like opened up your real estate options? Given, and I would imagine like your experience of small towns in New Hampshire being able to do that and be able to do bigger cities is is a huge help in that real estate strategy. And we have markets. We have clubs, whether we're downtown Manhattan or LA, to you know the middle of Kansas and Wyoming, you know, and everywhere in between. So we're we really do truly work everywhere. You know, I think from a real estate perspective, you know, it was good going into the pandemic. Ever since two thousand nine, two thousand ten, real estate was just in our you know perfect for us. Now you fast forward, and you know, Toys R Us went out a little bit ago, and and Sports Authority, and this is just opening up more retail. Sarah's, J C Penney, get on the list. So, and now you know, landlords. You know, if you go back 10, 20 years ago, landlords hated gyms. You know, they, they hog the parking and they don't, you know, people never leave. And now they're just dying to fill the parking lot up. And, you know, at Planet right now, we do about 8 million workouts a week. And that's something you really can't do at home and get the same kind of experience. And they're repeat customers. So the, re, the retailers now or landlords, for that matter, really want us in the, in the plaza and want us to be one of their anchors these days, you know, which was very different 15 years ago. You know, through the pandemic, we didn't, we didn't lose a single store, which, you know, as hard as we worked and, and forever grateful the franchisees got in line and did a great work to manage the, the shutdown. But we didn't lose a store at all. We still have over 2,000 locations and the industry lost uh, over 20 percent of the clubs closed permanently. So we're really in a good spot. And the landlords see like, geez, if anybody's going to be around us, if the pandemic couldn't take them out, <laughs> nothing else will. Yeah. And the pandemic changed a lot of things. Obviously, in 2020, um, everybody was sitting there probably thinking no one's ever going to go to the gym again. They're going to all sit at home on their bikes and like ride at home and all that stuff. And then the second people have a chance to go back out, they're certainly going to do it wholeheartedly. Do you think there's going to be like a hybrid approach in the future? Like what, what do you see having been in the business so long? Working out from home is never, it's not a new, a new concept, right? I mean, for free, you could have had a pair of sneakers and gone for a walk. And very few did. So, but, you know, I think there's over time, I think what this has forced people to learn is that people can manage their time, maybe ways to fit in better. I think a little bit with the work from home, which is good is people now maybe have more time to go to the gym. And I've seen that, like our busy times used to be naturally after five and before seven in the morning. The traffic is a little bit more steady now, like starting at two in the afternoon or 11 o'clock in the morning, that there's, there's the busier times that we never had before. So people are able to manage their time better, I think, which is a plus. But I think it's taught people how to digitally learn how to exercise. I think it's taught people how to use technology to kind of educate themselves on what to do, whether they're at home or in the gym. So I think that's a good thing. But I think to your earlier point, you know, we all have kitchens, and we still go out to eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. We always have it, always will. So, you know, but if time's of the essence or you just need a quick something, well, maybe you will do something at home, you know? But I think, you know, ultimately you'd rather go to a gym, have a best of what money can buy, 20,000 square feet, plenty of variety. You're not going to get bored. And also think about this way too is we have gyms in every demographic in, in every part of the country. And 25% of our stores are in what the government considers low income. You know, whether they don't have, can't afford apparatus, 
or space in their apartment or house. I mean, do they have a basement? Do they have a spare bedroom? They don't want to do it in the living room. And walking outside maybe isn't safe and it's not an option to be outside after dark. So a lot of times when you're you're not uh, visible to all that stuff, you forget that really the norm out there is not with the norm of, of others, you know? And and I think we feel a big need there. I mean, every demographic and every ethnicity throughout the country that is, is definitely a need. And I think through COVID, unfortunately, a lot of the lower demographic areas um, felt the repercussions of it even worse and they were less healthy. So I think we've really feel a void there that they didn't have access to fitness and at 10 bucks a month in these neighborhoods at a safe place to go. It really, it really fills something. It's huge. Yeah. And um, I would imagine 30 years ago, you were deciding what billboards you were going to rent out to market Planet Fitness. But now obviously every company is a technology company. Every company is moving digital. What are you seeing in terms of like digital marketing, kind of where you're going and how you can reach more people to kind of tell the Planet Fitness story and attract them as customers? Yeah, sure. It's a good question. Yes, digital marketing, I mean, yeah, I think about five, six years ago, we barely used it. Now it's, it's a big portion of our marketing budget, you know. We're as much as a marketing company as we are anything else. It's getting the word out there that fitness is, is essential. And, uh, and, and we plan it's affordable with our judgment-free zone. I think from digital marketing, it's super important. And I think the one thing we've learned through COVID is um, back to my digital adoption stuff on exercise is really how they interact with companies, I think, has changed drastically, whether it's QR codes with menus, you know, you see many restaurants now still haven't brought regular menus back. I'm not sure why you would. You know, it's like you have to change it up. The specials run out. You can change it on the fly. And for us, you know, pre-COVID, we were signing up about 35% of our members would join uh, via the website. And today it's about 70% of our members join, join digitally now. And it's about 40% through the web and it's about 30% through the app. And you could even join on our app pre-COVID. That's how many people are actually physically downloading the app learning about the brand and then joining Planet Fitness through the app. They're not even going to the website. So, which is a very different pattern than I ever would have expected that they would actually look at the app as a way to, almost a gateway, learn about the brand, learn about how to exercise and uh, maybe learn some techniques. Because if you think about it, if you've ever worked out before, nobody wants to look like the new kid in school. And walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm the guy, I don't know how to work, do anything, you know? And now with the app, even through COVID, we put QR codes in every piece of equipment in the gym. So now with the app, you just scan the QR code and it gives you a quick 20 second tutorial how to use it. Like it took the guesswork out of it. And I think, you know, it helped us really think about our member very differently and how to engage them through digital components, which now is 24 seven, regardless of staff, and it's always there for them at a click of a button as opposed to having to go to the front desk and get help and get paid for trainers and all that stuff. Yeah, I tell you, that really strikes a chord. I, I think, you know, you're, you obviously been in the business uh, living and breathing it every day, but I know that like you go to a gym, you get a tour and you're walking around and everyone's looking at you and it, like it's sometimes it's not comfortable for some people and being able to engage with them digitally is just a home run. It's no surprise that January is a super important time for any gym. Everybody's making their New Year's resolutions and getting in shape for the upcoming year. And Planet Fitness goes all out to spread their message by sponsoring the Times Square New Year's Eve celebration. I asked Chris about his plans for the festivities and how they'll be attracting customers in 2022. This is our seventh year coming here, and it'll be back, you know, live and with revelers in Times Square. So it'll look more normal than than last year, that's for sure. So that's great. Um, we have our New Year's Eve hats, which you've had the ones in my background here. Which we have our New Year's Eve hats; those are done and shipped and ready to go. So they'll be handed out. Um, we have our stage there with the performers and things. So we'll be highlighting and really highlighting our start to the new year and our our, our annual sale we have every year. 
The one thing our messaging will be slightly different than the norm. You know, we definitely will continue to highlight cleanliness and sanitization in the clubs. I think that will be forefront of people's minds for, you know, for any retail business or any public place in the next couple of years. But also to my earlier point on mental wellness is really just the benefits of fitness is more than just vanity and waistline. It's really all what it does on the insides. And it's it's really the the feeling of you know, you think about a gym, it's, you know, you might sometimes dread going, right? And you may want to, you'd rather sleep in a little longer. I got chores to do. I got this, that, that to do. I got to pick. But, you know, no one walks out of a gym regretting they went. You know, and it's that feel-good feeling. You know, you always walk out of a gym happier than when you walked in. And it's that, really, that euphoria and that that happiness, good feeling that you feel leaving a gym. And that's what people need to realize that. Because, you know, the results, the waistline and the weight loss, that comes in, in a couple months. That, that comes in time and, and repetitive. But, you know, you'll feel good after your first workout. And try to capture, really get people to capture that you come to Planet and you work out, you're going to feel better than the day you walked in. Well, I'll tell you, you know, your, your grasp of the customer and obviously the track record and having such massive scale is a testament to what you guys are doing every day. You know, being a public company, and I know you've been a public CEO for a while, but when you meet with investors, what do you think they might miss or overlook when they're kind of hearing the story for the first time? Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely changed a lot. It's been public, you know, since 2015. And, you know, the early days, it was 10 bucks a month in a gym membership. How can you make money? You know, and, and, I, and I heard that in the early days of franchising too, trust me, you know. But you fast forward now and, and our, we have a great group of investors. They really, really begin to understand the model, get why it works. They've seen it work now for, for quarters after quarters. They've seen this, you know, when I told them it would be fine on the other side of this and they said, yeah, you were right, I told you. <laughs> And they said, yeah, you called it. But what I get excited about, and I've been here, like I said, for, for forever, but and I look at the, you know, now coming through COVID, you know, people's attention to wellness. I look at the generational mix of our member base and, you know, my parents never worked out, right? And to get my mother to work out now is just not going to happen, right? And I was probably one of the early adopters, you know, in, in the Gen X category of, of working out. But now the younger Gen X is working out. And my daughter's 15 and she's a Gen Z and she's already working out, right? So she's, they're growing up in it. But, you know, these millennials and Gen Zs are growing up with, you know, apps and wearables and Fitbits and you go down the list. You know, you think about, you know, in the, in the 90s, I mean, the only way you were going to learn to work out was either Muscle Fitness Magazine or you had to hire a trainer. There was no source. There was no YouTube. There was no way to really... Google how to do anything. So people are growing up in this era. So now we look at the generational mix of how our member bases are growing. And every newer generation is about two or three, 400 basis points of penetration the planet gets above the previous generation. So, you know, we're at like 3% of boomers. Then you go to like, we're like 6% of Gen Xers. And then we're, we're like over 8% of millennials already. So every 8% of every millennial country is a member, right? And then Gen Z population was 80 million of them. Only half of those are even able to join yet, right? They're all too young. And of those, we already have over 7% penetration of the, of the Gen Zs that are of age. So you look about when the next 40 million Gen Zs come of age, and that'll be about 2 or 3% above the um, 8 9% of millennials. So we'll have 12% of Gen Zs members of 80 million. I mean, we'll be, you know, you will leave 12 to 15 million Gen Zs members by their own generation. So the industry is still so new and so green that you only have one way to go and that's up. So you come away with that sort of growth and tailwinds we have now with 9,000 less stores in the industry because of COVID, 
and now everybody paying attention to their health and wellness. I mean, the fitness boom, I really feel is right on the cusp of happening. You know, I've always been excited and investors have always said 4,000 units domestically. And I think that is really probably the floor, not the ceiling any longer. It ain't going backwards. People are going to decide to be less healthy. People are growing up in a world now where you have access to it and know how that a lot more to be done. But like I said, you know, beginning the conversation, it's hard to believe that in 30 years, the percentage of the U.S. population that's worked out has moved 5%. That's the crux of the problem, right? I mean, if you could, I think it could move 5%, 10% in the next 5, 10 years. What's that look like? It's pretty amazing. You, you know, you said one thing, and I know it wasn't a throwaway line, but you kind of went over it quickly. The amount of capacity that's come out of the industry, I think that's like pretty incredible, you know, because people are going to want to get out. They want to go to the gym. It's part working out. It's part of social thing in some cases. But that capacity issue has got to be just massive when, you know, probably for the last year, you've been really been minding expenses, playing a little bit of defense. Now you're kind of coming out of the pandemic with huge earnings leverage potential with more of a, of a landscape to expand, right? Yeah, because right now, you know, you, you have the demand is there and it and escalated because of closures. You have more real estate available. So expansion is now, you know, easier or more inclined to get at better rates than was before. And then you also have our investment in the digital concepts with the, you know, with the app and all the stuff the money we're putting there where competition, if, if they have made it through this, as painful as it was, you know, they're trying to keep the lights on and not put investment into digital. So it's widening the mode even more so than, than just bricks and mortar, you know, which is now playing catch up. So I know that you will be at Planet Fitness 10 years from now, right? Because you've been there for so long. Like 10 years from now, what do you think is the experience at its very basic level of walking into a Planet Fitness going to be the same? Do you think there's going to be more bells and whistles around it, technology, things like that? Like, what do you think the industry is going to be or Planet Fitness is going to be 10 years from now? I think through digital and technology, we will be able to now, with true data, enhance customers' experience based on what their needs and desires are. And, you know, what I mean by that is why do we have 30 treadmills in the Planet Fitness? Good question, because <laughs> that's an even number. I mean, there's, there's no data that supports there shouldn't be 33, right? So, but you know, now with the QR codes, like I said earlier, we know what pieces of equipment are scanned. We know what age they are. We know what gender they are. You know, should we have more of these, less of these, you know? Or we know that this age and gender, they all like this piece of equipment. Let's go show them that piece of equipment. We know they're gonna like this. Before they even know they're gonna like it, we know they're gonna like it. So now we get to guide them on this, this road or this path to wellness that we know that this person is gonna like it because 700 out of the thousand of you do this workout and they love it and they lose weight and they, they stay with us and they don't leave us and they're happier. You know, right now, you know, we build gyms and everybody else in the industry does and it's, you know, we build this box, we put in what we like to put in and, and with no data to support really why. So it's really being able to enhance customers' experience by listening to them as opposed to, you know, just doing what the normal gym industry has done. I mean, it's interesting because the one thing we were able to do in Planet years ago is to kind of take our minds outside of the workout person. Because if you think about it, most gyms are open by people who love to work out. So they built the gym for them. That's what happened, you know? And that's, you know, every Gold's Gym guy opened a Gold's Gym and they had 150 pound dumbbells, you know, this is what it is. But now listen to real true consumer behavior, see what they do, what they want and like, now we can build it around them. So it'll be technology driven. Um, and I think some technology based, you know, but I think it will definitely be technology driven to capture data that constantly 
makes their experience better and engages them. And I think the one thing which is interesting with the app, which is really gets to be excited, just even two, three years ago, we didn't really have an app, right? And it's really taught us a lot, but you know, in the gym industry, unless somebody walks through the front door, we have zero way to provide them any level of service or engagement or satisfaction, zero, right? But they pay us every month, which isn't right. We should be giving them some value for just being a member of the family as opposed to just waiting for them to walk in. Now it allows us to reach out to them and give them something, some level of service, diet, nutrition, meditation counseling, some workouts at home. In our app, we have PF Perks. We've done a deal with Shell Gasoline, with Petco for discounts. So I'm not a member, I haven't made it in, but you know, some plan just took care of me on let me get some gas at a discount. At least to look it out for my well-being and my, my day, you know? So how do we provide them for something value I think is important. Yeah. My last question, Chris, where you are right now with the amount of scale, kind of the asset light business model, you and the board must think a lot about how do you allocate capital to create value for shareholders and all stakeholders. What do you guys think about when you think about like creating value? The stock price has done unbelievably well over the years. Like how do you approach that and marry it with, you know, building the business and, and expanding internationally? Like what's the best use of capital for you guys? And how do you think about that? Yeah, we get the question a lot. And, you know, we've done a lot of buybacks in the past, none recently, but we did them some in the past. And, you know, we talked to the board a lot about what's the right capital structure. And, and coming out of COVID, we learned a lot. Luckily, we had a lot of cash in the balance sheet, got us through it unscathed. So that's that's wonderful. So I think we have to be careful with, with things like that. But, you know, the thing with the interesting, too, is we always get questions about our corporate stores. We have about 105 corporate locations. Franchising is very different. Some, some franchisors have zero company-owned lo- locations, and some franchisors have a lot, you know. And I think um, we get more and more questions with from investors now. Now that they really understand the, the unit level economics, now we get more questions like, why don't you own more, not less? You know, and, and at the IPO, it was like, why do you have any? Now it's like, geez, based on the performance of these things and what you're trading at publicly and, and, and what these units you can purchase them at, why wouldn't you own more? So, you know, it's always, we always think about like, what is the right return capital to, to shareholders? Dividends, probably not another question someday in the future. That's always something to think about with more buybacks. And there's also other strategic opportunities. You know, like I mentioned diet. Is there a diet nutrition company that's worth bolting on into our you know, 15 million members? You know, if they want to help eat better, maybe there's some kind of strategic buy there to, to bolt them in or, or offer them something, whether we do it, you know, buy, builder. Or, uh, or create it, but you know, I think there's always opportunities for us to provide more value to the member, which is always gonna come back, to, I think, tenfold in the future. A lot has changed since 1993, but taking care of customers is still vitally important. Chris and Planet Fitness have found a ton of success catering to their specific clientele, and they're poised to soak up even more market share in the future. Thanks to Chris Rondo of Planet Fitness for coming on the show. Talk about an American success story. Absolutely impressive. He's done an exceptional job of creating value for shareholders over the years, and I'm sure he'll continue on for many years to come. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.